Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. Headquarters of the future capital of the free thinking state of America known as Los Angeles. This is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, we start 2016 with a fresh interview with author and media manipulator Ryan Holiday as we discuss his most recent book, Obstacle is the Way, as well as There's No Good or Bad, There is Only Perception. Recipes for resilience, managing expectations, and expecting the best while preparing for the worst. Holy smokes, it's a new year! And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast, begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 79 of the Drunken Dows Podcast. I guess this is the end of the old year, into the new year. Indeed. 2016, as you're hearing this. That's where we're at. Where does the time go? Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, as always, my pal Daniele Bonelli across from us. And just so we can brag a tiny bit, this man has one of the top ten new podcasts on all of iTunes. History on fire. Definitely on fire. Well done, my man. I got this email the other day that the sweet folks at iTunes have decided to include uh, History on Fire in their best of 2015 list. So that was sweet. Well done. That was quite sweet. It was quite a battle, too, and you made it. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm pumped. I'll, um, what else can I... I mean, there's some stuff that's interesting about it because it's, uh, on one end, it feels easy. It feels like, oh, it's... On the other end, I think about, yeah, it's about 200 hours of work per episode just in research and everything. It's I don't think there's anything easy about it at all, A lifetime of work to get to have that kind of game in terms of history and storytelling and stuff. So it's... It's a strange combo, but yeah, if you guys haven't checked it out yet, please do so. And of course, iTunes reviews are always deeply appreciated. Which are mounting anyway. I mean, it's fully five-star with, what, yeah. 79, 80 ratings already? No, by now it's like 170 or something. Last time it's I a great show, yeah, you guys. So. You got to check them out. I mean, what else can be said? Did you get to check them all out so far? I'm only on episode two, but two, three will be next. The Iceman is next. It's been a bit busy. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. It's funny. I thought when you said Iceman initially, I thought you meant the, the Hitman. Right. The Iceman, that, oh, there are a lot of I Iceman is a popular term, I guess. So there's... Uh, but this is the guy that he literally fell into a bog and froze and stayed that way for... Not a bog, but yeah, it basically similar story. He's uh, frozen, was there for 5,000 years. Is he the National uh, Geographic one? It had the, the flowers sure in his stomach been, and all that? sort of yeah, craziness yeah, yeah, and yeah absolutely that's yeah, the story I can't wait to check it out it's a wild tale Brad Pitt has a tattoo of the Iceman on his forearm among other strange trivia info not true but, yeah, yeah no idea yeah no that one is there and um, the next one I'm debating like the next two up are either one is going to be the Persian expedition where there's this story about about I forget how many decades after Thermopylae and the whole Persian and Greeks showdown. Right. There's like some 10,000 Greek mercenaries who are out of a job and they pick up a job of fighting in a Persian civil war. 
and their guy dies so they find themselves stranded like thousands of miles behind enemy line and they have to make their way back to greece with everybody hating their guts and it's uh that's actually where walter hill got the story for the movie the warriors which was a big hit back in the day yeah it's uh it's a modern um, rendition of this story so that should be fun and then the other one so i don't know whether to do this one first or whether to do the um, the duel between Alexander Hamilton oh, and Darren I'm waiting Burr. for that one. That one's completely yeah, fascinating. That one, whichever one I don't do in mid-January, I'll do in the uh, beginning of March. But those are the next two coming up. Well, that's completely exciting. Also exciting, we had another one of our $1,000 uh, weeks on Kiva. Nice. Where Sweet. just out of nowhere, just click, click, click. Pretty Christmas. $1,000 awesome. in new loans. So that's awesome. Kiva.org, if anyone helps out. But... I guess the, the the big three definitely deserve their thank you. Yeah, as absolutely. Always. Big thank you to uh, Datsusara. Well, I just saw Chris Odell not so long ago. Always nice to check, to see him. Uh, Datsusara, Onnit, and Short Design. They have been awesome to us. You guys know the drill. If there's any way, shape, or form that you can decide to support the podcast through buying pro- their products, that would be great if you need to. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that's always been easy for us is that those are cool products that we have used products from every single one of their companies, yep. and most of them. So easy deal because we don't have. And now from uh, Pepsi Cola, f- yeah. please give uh, six cans a day of sugary, crazy stuff to your kids because it's sure good for them. And be to use your Monsanto weed spray around your tomatoes because exactly. it won't harm you at all. Yeah, it's not that gig, luckily. Well, it's never going to be the gig. That's, I mean, why why would you represent somebody? I no, mean, exactly. it's, I don't know. Yeah. We may not be the finest businessmen in the world, no. but at least we can sleep at night. And it's nice. And with this guy, so that's Usara, hemp gear, wearing as usual, my uh, lovable funny pack. <laughs> the, no, the, <coughs> the backpack, the computer bags on it with all the goodies from workout products, uh, supplements, um, the awesome alpha brain. Yeah, indeed. And the uh, funkiest, coolest t-shirts at Shore Design. So, chi- Oh, I have a funny story about Shore Design and History on Fire. Please. So I got an email um, back when I was working on episode three of History on Fire um, from some guys out of Colorado, I believe, if I remember correctly, who have a company called Strain Printed, who are doing super soft t-shirts of, uh, uh, with the strains. Wait a minute now. And I was like, Hey, that's exactly. And then, you know, their design, their vibe, their everything, it was very different. You know, their whole thing is, but is similar. And so, and they were like, oh, we would love to sponsor History on Fire. And I'm like, I would love to say yes, but I really can't do this with. And then I talked to Bennett and it was one of those always hilarious conversation. Bennett, by the way, from Shore Design, where Bennett is like, no, please let them sponsor you so that you can get something. And I'm like, no, Bennett. Like we're, each one of us is trying to give money to the other, basically. is trying to find a way. And then eventually what it worked out is that they co-sponsored it. So two brands that theoretically are rivals, where you have two guys who are selling, you know, it's like getting sponsored by Pepsi and Coke, right? Where theoretically wow, they are rivals. The dream. Except that these guys were like, no, of course, you know, we'll split the cost and we'll do it together and do it. And it was so sweet. You know, it's like that to me is a, is a different way. The same way as it's a different way for us to be able only to be sponsored by people we dig. It's a different way that these guys that theoretically are business rivals can go hand in hand and be perfectly happy with, uh, like, do you ever see that happening with TV or with no, radio? Never. It only can happen in podcasting. 
So he said, we got to get that competition. And uh, what, a nice, what a great notion. And, and at the end of the day, you know, it's going to be what those imprints, what those images are. Yeah. That's going to sell it for them. I mean, that's what the guys, even the strain printer guys, they were saying, look, they're going to check. Um, they're going to check sure design. They're going to check our stuff. Some people are going to naturally gravitate toward one or the other because that's their taste. And other people may pick the other because it's their taste. And it's great. Everybody wins. Gretchen and I had the awesome realization a couple nights ago that why we didn't go to the Grateful Dead show with mm-hmm. a thousand of those weed strain shirts? Yeah, because like the selection in the parking lot, oh, man. was terrible. Yeah, like no, not I'm any sure. good tie dyes or anything like that. Yeah, we could have made, made money for land. everybody because yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine there would have been one left that was, with that crew. That would have been a good. So, uh, hey, only only about four months late. Yeah, exactly. for me that's pretty good. Sometimes more than four years. It's the usual business practice. But yeah, I'll put also also a link for also this guy, Strain Printer, in the episode notes since they were nice enough with the whole history on fire thing. That that's was awesome. Sweet. So yeah, I thought that was a sweet story right there. Well, we got to tell you real quick. We've we've switched locations. We're now like in the heart of Hollywood recording, and we're getting the new studio put together. So it may sound a little different for a little while while we get it all tweaked in. But overall, should be the same guys. So yep, nice deal. I haven't been taken over by uh, aliens who have borrowed my body yet. So Not yet. I shall. Uh... Week ain't over though. Yeah, indeed. All right, interview time. Let's go play with Mr. Ryan Holiday. Okay, guys, today visiting in my humble abode, Ryan Holiday. Ryan, welcome to this homemade version of the Drunken Taoist. It's good to be here. Uh, apologies to those of you guys who are audio fanatics. You know, we're not doing it at the studio with uh, Rich taking care of business and all the professional equipment and everything. There's like a microphone held on the back of a running goat and we are chasing the goat around the garden while trying to speak into the microphone so you know you may forgive us for such things but let's get down to business Ryan you're clearly a strange human being there's uh, I don't think there's much of an argument on that your path has been uh, not the typical one I mean just some of the stuff that you have done in your life since uh, you know, you are in college and you decide, fuck it, this is enough, I'm dropping out. And, you know, the typical uh, idea that people have is if you even say the words, drop out, what, go to school, do this. And you went on to being ridiculously successful in multiple ventures. Yeah. How, how did that pan out? Uh, well, it worked out. It's, it's interesting, too. Yeah. Like, on the one hand, the path is somewhat untraditional now, although if you look back historically, it's not particularly weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, the, the big thing for me that I like to point out to you is like, so I, I remember very vividly going in and like to the registrar's office and de- deciding I was going to drop out of the University of California. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm here to drop out. Like, I've made my decision. Yeah. And like, uh, they're like, what? You know, you can just like... Uh, you could just take a semester off, right? And I was like, oh yeah, let's do that. And then and then they were like, and look, if you want to keep going after, you can do that or you can come back and it's totally fine. 
And like, so we, we tend to think that these things are like these massive life changing decisions sure. that are super intimidating and that you can't like, don't touch that wire. Like you're going to get, and, but really it was like, when I actually decided to do it, I realized it was so much easier. There's so much more of a safety net than you thought. And dropping out was like much less of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, at least for me, like I, I hear from a lot of kids who are thinking about dropping out and, and they're like, I don't like school, so I'm going to drop out and figure out what I'm going to do with my life. That was not me. Like right. I, I had like a job and I had, you know, contacts and I had, I had something I was doing mm-hmm. and, and it worked out. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was still terrifying, but it was much less terrifying than we sort of culturally make it to be. And I found that across my career when I've done different things or I've taken certain risks, like you think it's going to be awful and then you realize like it's really not all that different than normal life. So in that sense, you had a plan. It wasn't kind of like just the I drop out because I feel like that dropping out. It's like I have alternatives. I have things yeah. that I want to go for. Yeah, like I uh, hear from people where they're like, oh, like I'm failing out of school. Like I think I want to drop out like you. And it's like, I wasn't failing out of school. Right. Um, and if you are failing out of school, that's probably a bad sign because mm-hmm. school is a lot like life. And right. you, ha- you have to figure out that system. And also it's like, like if you don't like your job, Go find a different job. Don't quit your job in some sort of petulant like tantrum yeah. and then hope that someone is going to want to hire you again when you actually haven't done any research to find out if you are like if you're marketable and hireable. So for me it was like I had competing offers encouraging me to leave school and I decided to take them versus, hey, um, I, like, I think school is the best default option for mm-hmm. any person. And as long as you don't have anything better, you should continue doing it. Because I was learning a lot right. and there's a lot of access and opportunities for students. And it's the same thing. It's like like being an entrepreneur is great, but you shouldn't just blow up your whole life to decide you're going to be an entrepreneur. Or you're going to be a, a, a writer or a creative mm-hmm. or whatever. Like this should actually have been validated by the market in some <laughs> way. And, and you should right. have you should have some evidence that this is a viable path for you. So just the fact that your mom thinks you're the greatest writer in the world may not quite be enough as a viable path to go uh, that route. Or just because you're unhappy with what you're doing, like, you know what will make you much more unhappy? Like, being poor and not having any prospects, right? right? Like, so it's like, figure out what you want to do, like, take a chance, like, uh, you know, get something going on the side and then decide you're going to invest more energy on it. But it's, you know, don't jump off the cliff before you sort of spot in the landing. <laughs> right. And that seems like sensible advice. That makes sense. But it's hard when, because these are also emotional decisions and yeah. people are at the end of the rope. And, and so I totally get it. But it's like, I think that discipline, like, look, sometimes it totally works out. You mm-hmm. hear someone ran away from home and then they ended up as a successful musician or whatever. Right. But that's also how you end up, you know, that in a ditch, singing, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. S- singing for nickels or whatever, right. you know. Yeah, it's those ones, there's more of a flip of a coin involved. Yeah. Whereas if you have some plan, it may not hurt the whole process. That's yeah. For sure. Which yeah, is exactly. where you at? I was at uh, Riverside. Riverside. Okay, which so I really, I, re- I actually really liked it. And like, it's funny, since I dropped out, like, I've written each one of my books in a college library. Like, oh, I love the college experience. I spent more time in college libraries out of college than I had than I ever did while I was in there. <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, which was an expensive uh, waste, I guess, but it worked out. As long yeah. as it works. Yeah. That's, uh, well, let's chat about a little bit your latest, or rather, it's not going to be your latest for much longer because you have another yeah. one coming up. Mm-hmm. But the obstacle is the way this uh, sort of 
tricky on stoic philosophy, but not from a you know dry, lifeless academic standpoint, but from a applicable to life standpoint. Stoicism seems to fit that because it's not really designed to be something that you study the way the typical philosophy course goes. Yeah, yeah. So I was actually in college. I was in Riverside, and I was writing for this college newspaper, and I got sent to this conference that that Dr. Drew was speaking at, who I'm actually supposed to see this weekend, which I'm excited about. But I did a thing with Duncan Trussell and him once. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was pretty funny. So I was like, I had this habit where I would I would ask smart people like what books I should read, Mm -hmm. and so he told me I should read. Uh, Marcus Aurelius, uh, who's one of the Stoic emperors, and, and, and Epictetus, who's the, the other Stoic philosopher. One's an emperor, one's a slave, which I think is really, really cool. <laughs> and, but I, was, I remember I was taking philosophy 101 mm-hmm. while he recommended this. And I was reading Aristotle, and look, Aristotle is great, but like half the time, I'm, I was reading like Nicomanchean Ethics, I think. And you're just like, what is this? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, I can read it now, but then I was like, this is, I don't get what this is. Yeah. And so I, I read the Stoics, and I'm like, holy crap, like, this is amazing. And it was... I, I've gone through a breakup recently. I didn't. I, did, I didn't love school so much. Like uh, some, I was unhappy with some stuff, and I was figuring out sort of what I wanted to do with my life. And I read this book, and it just sort of like blew my mind. And I was like, "Wait, this is what philosophy. Is. This is what philosophy can be." Mm-hmm. And so that made me really excited. And then, so I tried to read everything I possibly could on it. And the big thing that I found is like I loved reading the actual Stoics. Um, so Marcus Aurelius, Seneca. Uh, Epictetus, uh, Cleanthes, the, the, mm-hmm. the Stoics, and um, but what I really didn't like was the books about Stoicism, oh, yeah. and I and I found that almost all books about philosophy are worse than books by philosophers because because they're just they're like this is what he means here and this is what he means here and so it's like it's even more like at least. Even ancient texts, at least the person is like, this is what I am saying. Mm-hmm. And like, this is what I believe. And there's some originality in that. And then it's like, I, I hated reading books from like, uh, you know, college professors with tenure telling me about the, um, how they use stoicism or whatever. It was just really boring to me. And yeah. so I thought like, I would love to contribute, like, I would love to contribute to this. I don't want to contribute like these people have, um, and and then I sort of, it's not that I forgot about it, but it's like, then I went on and lived my like actual life. Like I, I was working for a bunch of authors for Robert Greene. I was the director of marketing in American Apparel. And so the, I knew I one day wanted to write a book about stoicism. I knew I wanted it to be very different. And then I was just sort of living my life and waiting for an opportunity to do that. Which make, I... Like I have to restrain myself from just breathing heavily and getting frustrated when you talk about the uh, the academic approach yeah. to philosophy because I've seen that so many times. You know, philosophers who are so badass, they are awesome. You read their stuff and yeah. they just hit a chord. And then if you take a course in college or you read the sure. academic, again, you can get lucky. Yeah. Maybe you have a great professor and it's amazing. But the typical academic approach tend to suck the life out of it, tend to take everything that's juicy about it and yeah. squash it and leave you with, like Nietzsche to me is a perfect example. Nietzsche is so much, there's passion, there's intensity, yeah. there's all of that. And when I listen to professors telling me what Nietzsche is saying, I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? That's not even close to what I read in it. You know? Yeah, it's... like the, the course was Philosophy 101, The Meaning of Life. So I was like, this is going to be amazing. Yeah, gonna be... And I, I mean, I, I still learned stuff from the class. And I really, I actually, it was better than what I've heard most people got. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, there is, 
when are you going to answer this question? Yep. Like when are when? And then you read the Stoics, and they're like every page is answering that question. Or you read people who are not philosophers who are answering that question, and you're like, wait, why is this guy get to call himself a philosopher? This person who actually is giving you practical advice on how to how to live your life, like what being a good person is, yep. you know, how you deal with with grief or pain or or frustration or ambition, but they're not a philosopher. Like that that doesn't make any sense to me. There was, I think, it was Thoreau, if I remember correctly, what this line about, you know, there are no philosophers around now. What I see around are philosophologists, meaning people oh, who wow. speak about yeah. philosophers. But this is philosophy is about solving the practical problems of life, of making life better. Yeah. These guys chatting about that's not philosophy. That's no, no. There and there's a. I, I think I used that Thoreau quote at the back of the book because it was. It's like, yeah, he's saying it's like it's not about founding your own school. It's like it's actually helping people with their mm -hmm. stuff. Yep. And uh, Schopenhauer he has this line about uh, and Pierre Hadot like said he, he it's um uh, that he calls that kind of philosophy like fencing in the mirror. Like it's not solve. It's not right. accomplishing anything. It's just like masturbation basically. And and I think that that's. And at That's least masturbation, so you get yeah. something out sure, of it, you know, sure. it's like, well, it's, whereas the professor is getting something <laughs> yeah, out of it, right? And like, yeah. I, I, I've, I've talked to um, some other like uh, academics who I, I do respect and like, and they're like, and, and they've always told me that the reason that you don't get taught uh, stoicism in many philosophy courses is because there's not that much room for interpretation. Right. And so it's like, it's boring to, it's either boring to teach or it doesn't make the teacher look very good. So they'd rather say like, Oh, uh, you don't like, you're not going to understand this. So that makes me feel smart and important. Let me, ex I'm the, I'm the, I'm the smart one. Let me translate this to you. Right. And it's like, then it's probably worthless. Like if it doesn't, yeah. if it doesn't actually help people in an obvious, straightforward yep. way, it's probably not good philosophy hey man i could yeah. not agree more with that and yeah that's such an ego trip the i'm gonna and you know even totally. stoicism you can do what you did with the book you can uh, you're not as you say you know if you go to the original version everything is there yeah but that doesn't mean you can talk about it in a way that's also applied slightly more modern language you can make it you, you can dance with this topic in a way that makes it exciting i mean i don't know it's like if you read uh, alan watts talking yeah. about Taoism or zen He's not saying anything that's not in Taoism or Zen, right. but the way he phrases it, the way he puts it together is beautiful. It's inspiring. It adds to it. Yeah. like and So what I try to do is take, okay, here's, here's the sort of principles or the ideas. Let me illustrate them with mm -hmm. stories. I think what Alan Watts is really good at is saying, here's what it is. I'm going to illustrate it with um, metaphors or analogies or just I'm going to I'm going to distill it down into a, into an accessible way. And I, exactly. I love that. Yep. Um, and I think that... that like I love that, and I have a lot of respect for that. What I what I hate on the other end of the so there's the academic thing, which I think we both like, we dislike. And then I like on the other a dislike on the other end where it's like I'm just gonna steal this stuff that, <laughs> that and I'm gonna pretend like I made it up, right? And and then I'm gonna pass it off like like and, and you read them and you're like I feel like there's something there, but. I don't feel like you have the authority to yeah. tell me that that's simply how it is or not like that. And I think so much, I, w I think so much of self-help is just stolen or repackaged actual philosophy. Yep. And, um, 
I feel like that's even almost worse. Because at least the yeah. academics, you get the sense they love the philosophy. Right. They're not just like stealing from it and profiting from it. And then usually stripping out all the uncomfortable parts. Oh, like yeah, the ethics or the, or the, you know. No, you package in uh, easy, simple, seven yeah. lessons that, yeah, I'll skip mentioning names that pop in my mind right yes. now. But there I'm are sure so we're thinking many of the same huge people. bestsellers yeah. that you're like, that's all right, but A, you stole it, and B, it's all not you. You can tell that it's not who you are. It's just you, you did your homework in the library, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. But... Or you just read other self-help books that stole it from other people. And it's exactly. like it's, it's so the... laundered at yep. this point that it, it just descends into meaninglessness. No, absolutely. Whereas on the other end, what we got here is this idea of philosophy as, uh, you know, people have this notion of philosophy as this abstract thing, as like, what's that going to be good for? You know, there's a great line in uh, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, where they ask, uh, they ask Bruce Lee, uh, why are you majoring in philosophy for? And the joke is, uh, um, so I can have very deep thoughts about being unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got, that's the stereotype. Yeah, right? yeah. You got this idea that it's not really useful for anything. Whereas the reality is, it's exact opposite. It's supposed to be good philosophy. There's so much crap philosophy. That's, right. as you say, is like stuff that you read and you're like, what the hell is it trying to say again? Yeah. What's the point? There's a lot of that, which I despise. Uh, there's, on the other end, the good stuff is stuff that you will read and it will, help, it will inspire you. It will help you figure out how to live life, how to navigate through life, which is what philosophy is truly, that's when it truly is interesting. And that's what Stoicism does best. Yeah, and, and look, I think, I think that's what all good ancient philosophy does. There's a great mm -hmm. book called um, What is Ancient Philosophy?, um, and then uh, philosophy is a way of life. They're mm -hmm. two of my favorites. And he's saying that's essentially what all ancient philosophy was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, but the, I think the Stoics are the best example of that in that like, so Epictetus, um, his work uh, survives to us. They were lecture notes from a student. Uh, Arian, who also wrote the, the campaigns of Alexander. Oh, yeah. Um, so he so like. Epictetus didn't plan to write anything down. His works survived to us accidentally. Mm -hmm. um, Seneca, there's some argument that he was intending the letters that he wrote to, for um, publication, but they are letters written to another, a real human being. Uh, Marcus Aurelius was writing private notes to himself mm -hmm. um, that he ha would have had no... Um, no idea would ever be published. And in fact, the main criticism of Marx Realist by academics is like, oh, he repeats himself a lot. And he's like, that's because he doesn't give a shit about you. Yeah. He's writing for himself, right? And that is something he particularly struggled with and was repeating because it mattered. And then the, the other most prominent stoic is Cato, mm -hmm. um, who definitely didn't write anything down, and but was widely considered a philosopher based on like how he lived his life. Mm -hmm. And and like look, he's not a Stoic, but but like Socrates didn't write anything down. Right. We only know about Socrates because of Plato and Xenophon. Yep. And and it, it's 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 the questions they were asking and the choices that they were making and the life that they lived that made them philosophers, not that they wrote a dense text that uh that they published with a university press mm -hmm. that that uh, allowed them to go in the lecture. Like, that's not who they were. Absolutely. And, and that, to me, is the true heart of philosophy and why it's so valuable and why I get really excited about it. Uh, if I can go on a minor yeah. tangent on the... 
and then I swear I'll stop bitching about academic philosophy mm -hmm. and we'll put on the, the accent on the positive. But okay. if I may, there's one passage that I written in on The Warrior's Path, my first book, yeah. where I had that I had this whole thing about academics and Nietzsche. I'll read it real quick because listeners accuse me of never bringing up anything that's in my books. So I'm like, oh, once in a while, I guess I should. Okay. But is, uh, this is why academic scholars trying to explain Nietzsche form such a pathetic spectacle. Before they even say anything, you know they have no clue. You just look at them and their faces tell you everything you need to know. They've never been there. They've never felt something so powerful inside their hearts that it would tear them apart if you didn't find a way out. And yet these sad little people believe they can lecture on Nietzsche? Yuck. Go climb a mountain, go fight demons and dance with goddesses. Then come back and talk to me about Nietzsche. Until then, it's better if you leave Nietzsche alone and keep playing with tame, thing tame thinkers who are more suited for turning philosophy into a game for nerds with too much time on their hands. I had to get that off my chest. No, no. I, look, I, to I totally agree. And like when you look at, like, uh, I don't know if, I'm sure your listeners go on Reddit, but if you go to Reddit, like uh, philosophy, there's all these like asinine questions mm -hmm. and inane conversations about these weird like sort of like ethical quandaries and it's not like is this how i should live my life or should i do this or does this make me a good person it's like well what about this and it's like it's everyone like it's it's like that old sort of thing about the church about like how many angels can dance on the right, head of yeah. a pin or whatever it's it's these questions that don't that don't alleviate any suffering. They don't address any existential mm -hmm. angst. They don't uh, provide any meaning or purpose for people. And uh, except providing, you know, a, a livelihood of, of of trivial questions and stuff. And to me, that's that's not what I needed when I was 19 years old no. and I was dropping out of college mm -hmm. and I needed help. Like that's not what I wanted. Or I was trying to figure out who I was or what an untraditional path in life might look like. I did not. Not only did I not need any of those, I didn't like. I would pick up one of those books and I'd be like, "What is this?" Like, yeah. I don't. I, unless someone is going to walk me through this, like, I'm going to go to something more accessible, and and that's the kind of philosophy I like. Yeah, to me, philosophy, you know, in ten pages whether it excites you or not, whether yeah. it speaks to you or not. You mm -hmm. know, you pick a book, you start, and granted, you know, some authors may have a language that maybe you know, if you read something written two hundred years ago, or even longer. Yeah. Clearly, the translation makes a huge difference mm -hmm. because the language in which it's like if I read uh, Nietzsche, for example, a lot of the typical Kaufman translation, they are so they read like King James English. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell? And when you strip that language instead and you speak like a modern human being, it becomes so powerful and amazing. Totally. So I can see why occasionally there are some issue of like, oh, this is a little tough. But yeah. But usually you feel right away whether there's life there or is it a worthy game. No, it's else. weird. Like the stuff in the 1800s is like the hardest. Mm -hmm. Stu stuff from the 1800s in English is yeah. often the most the hardest. It's this like florid, overwrought yeah. prose. These sentences with like dozens of commas in them. That's really hard. And so that's one of the like. Look, I, I, I'm not really qualified to like sort of talk about about philosophy much more than i than i than i do in my book but like when i'm like if i was like teaching philosophy or if i was like instructing someone to like go on a, a course mm -hmm. or a journey i would say like i i see a lot of people like oh the, all these translations are like free online it's like do not read the free translations <laughs> buy like the the best penguin yeah. classics or the best modern translation of them not the interpretation ones mm -hmm. but the ones where uh, like someone has such a grasp of language that they're able like like 
you you can read some of the free ones of Marcus Aurelius, and he's like, "Thou art not to," and yeah. it's like that was not a word in no, Latin. Exactly. So like he did, he was not using that. That was yeah. an that was an invention of a 16th or 17th century translator. Yep. Or like, um, you, yeah, you read these things, and you're like, this guy was writing notes to himself. So if the translation is not simple and clear and straightforward, it is almost certainly inaccurate, and it takes. I, I don't really speak any languages, so I, I I can only marvel at the skill it takes to to get back to that intention. Mm-hmm. But like, it's worth the fifteen dollars that you have to pay Absolutely. to get a real translation instead of like cobbling together some free one on Google Books or whatever. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the quality changes like the Tao Te Ching, the Gazillion mm-hmm. translation. Some translations just suck. You read yeah. the book and it's an awful book. You're yeah. Like, I get nothing from it. Yeah. And you read the next one it's like, this is the coolest thing I've ever read. And yeah, it can go right, it can cut right to the core of yep. you and and sort of make you see something that you never understood before, which is what it did for people when it was written however many thousands exactly. of years ago. And like, if it's not doing that, it's either not the right book for you in terms of not the right philosopher for you, mm-hmm. or it's just a really bad translation. Yep. And and you got to be like I always say, like there's almost there's not a better investment than a book. And so like if you're trying to like uh, cheap out on it, like, you're <laughs> sort of missing the point. Yeah, absolutely. There are libraries. Go to yeah. the library if yeah. you want to cheap out and check the good translate, and you can check two or three and figure out what totally. actually hits you right. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I dig this notion of philosophy as sort of this arrow of flying straight for the heart. And yeah. That's what it's supposed to do. If mm-hmm. it's taking 17 detours, it's not going to reach what it needs to reach. Yeah, right, right, exactly. And it, it's it's supposed to, um, like, Stoicism is, is a I see it as this sort of set of spiritual exercises. Mm-hmm. And so if you're just reading words on the page, then you're not, it's not, you're not getting the point. These are supposed to be things. These are supposed to be things that you read multiple times, that you write down, and that you tra- like. Like when you read, um, and really good translations will notice this. They'll be like, "This language is eerily similar to language from another philosopher. Mm-hmm. He probably was not saying this originally. He was repeating something that he yep. learned." Like, um, you know, you would the the sort of rich Romans and Greeks would have philosophy tutors mm-hmm. who would teach them this stuff. So it, it it's not like. Uh, it, it was about what you internalized and you took with you in your daily life. Absolutely. For those uh, listeners who may not be so up to speed on Stoicism, if mm-hmm. you want to give the 90-second version of the essence of what do you think to you are the most, the biggest thing that you take from Stoicism? Yeah, so I see Stoicism as as the sort of assumption that we don't control the world around us, we control how we respond to that world. And Stoicism is, is, and Stoicism is saying... Um, the sort of the highest good is is reason and virtue. So it's how do you make sure that you respond to those external events, to a, an inherently unpredictable world, mm-hmm. um, sort of with the best version of yourself, like the most resilient version of yourself, the most honorable version of yourself, the most honest version of yourself. And and so the, this idea of of um, you know Heraclitus, he said like character is fate, and I think Stoicism is like is like a set of exercises that help you with your character mm-hmm. is sort of how I see it. Um, and so I've, the, the, the sort of big disciplines in Stoicism, when I split the book up along these lines, is it's the discipline of perception. So that's like sort of how you see the world. Um, you know, 
the Stoics say like there sort of is no good or bad. There's only what we tell ourselves about these things. There's, mm-hmm. there's just perception, right? Um, so if you tell yourself something's awful, it's going to be awful. If you tell yourself something, it's not awful. You're going to get through it. It's not awful, and you're going to get through it. And then the sort of the next action is the discipline of, or the next discipline is the discipline of action. So it's sort of like um, these these are where you actually see the sort of Stoic traits embodied, right? So that's um, you know honesty, forthrightness. Um, selflessness, uh, self-control, um, uh, and and it it's about it's a I I think there's this sort of sense of pragmatism um, in Stoicism that I've always found really attractive, and I think that's why you, it it tends to be so popular with with like people who do things right, <laughs> right. like whether you're a writer or you're a soldier or you're an entrepreneur or a, a fighter pilot mm-hmm. when you're looking at a philosophy you're not saying like you're not thinking about something that will help you as you're sitting at your desk. You're looking at like you're like struggling to do something and all of the issues that that brings up in humans is what you're looking for help on. And um you know like there's one of the lines in, in meditations is like Marcus Aurelius he's saying like never be overheard uh complaining about your job like even at court, right? And and so it's like here's the here's essentially the president of the world coming in and saying like well like I've I dislike these people. These people are bothering me, but like, this is my job and I'm going to deal with it. And so it's like this, it's, it's a set of, of, of rules and ways of thinking for dealing with the particular stresses and, uh, you know, problems that come with doing things. Mm -hmm. And then the, the sort of final discipline, um, and obviously there's other ones, but the, the final, the, of the big three, it's the discipline of will, which is not so much like willpower, but, but the sort of notion of, 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 it's sort of like I, I, you would almost call it like the next level of perception, right? So it's the the will is like um, like the Stoics have this concept of the art of acquiescence. Like how do you how do you accept the things that are outside of your control? How do you um, how do you face sort sort of your own mortality, right? Cicero when he says like to philosophize is to learn how to die. Um, it's it, it's this idea that like like look let's be really realistic about how sort of puny and small we are as human beings and let's sort of set up that inner citadel to deal with with that right let's let's uh let's let's prepare for this yeah and that's the thing because you know stoicism in that sense is not uh paint it all rosy pretend that everything is for the best so even when and you rightly point out one of the key things is this emphasis on how you react to things yep. it's not telling you yeah, you know, you had your family slaughtered in front of you. It's just how you perceive it. You yeah, know, there's sure. nothing bad about it. Is of course it sucks. Of right. course it's bad. The problem is, okay, once we have established that, now what? Yeah. How are you gonna deal with it? And so it's not denying the fact that there's sometime an objective reality out there of totally. things that suck or uh, but the point is you don't have control over them anyway. So how do you, the only thing you have control of is how you're gonna respond. Yes, and that becomes the game. And I think there's two things there. So one, I think the Stoics, the, the Sto- Stoicism is not the secret. It's mm-hmm. not magically wishing <laughs> right. things are different than they are. And I think when you read the Stoics, like you're there is a there is a sort of brutal acceptance of what reality was like in mm-hmm. the Greek and Roman era, which is executions and exiles yeah. <laughs> and plagues. Like Marcus Aurelius is writing the Meditations partly as Rome has been evacuated uh, due to the plague and he as the emperor has the choice, has the ability to flee, but has decided not to. And so he's looking at people all around him dying. And, um, 
you know, it, it's it's he's not saying like I'm this is all all awesome. I love it. First. He's in, he's he's on the one hand trying to say like look, it's not as bad as you think. Um let's let's look at this in some perspective, right? Um but he's also saying like this is what this is the hand I've been dealt yep. and I need to deal with it and I need to I need to make the most of it and I need to like he's sort of saying like even even if I can only be an example to other people in this difficult time, then that is the purpose that I'm going to take from this horrible tragedy or affliction or whatever. And and so like and and I what I particularly think is great about Stoicism is like life was a lot worse in the Roman times, sure. and so Stoicism was designed to be resilient and robust enough to deal with that awfulness. And so like now when you're dealing with you know people whining at you and accusing you of things the way Marx Aurelius was, you're like, I can deal with that because I don't also have the plague. Right. You know, like it's yeah. a philosophy resilient enough yeah. for that. And the, the the other thing I love about Stoicism too is like Epictetus, who whose lecture notes were passed to Marx Aurelius through his tutor, um, he's a slave. And then Marx Aurelius goes on to be the emperor. And so like what other philosophy is sort of a across the spectrum that way right the sort of extreme adversity and yeah. extreme abundance is like is pretty is pretty cool too and it's perfectly applicable to both because essentially yeah. it's applicable to the essential aspects of life that are inescapable for anybody i mean the fact that ultimately you can be the emperor of rome and still the degree of control that you have on external events is still limited it's more than a slave yeah but it's still because people still get old people still get sick people die shit happens outside of your control all the time yeah so how you respond it's still where the stoic uh, in that sense stoicism is brilliant for its brutally pragmatic realism with yeah. these like look these are as you said this is the hand you have been given these are the cards you have in your hands you can bitch about how you've been given bad cards. That's not going to help you. Right. You can dream about how nice it would be to have different cards. That's sweet. That's still not sure. going to help you. Are you going to play them? Because that's really the only thing that you have control over. Yeah. And, and look, uh, you know, Stoicism gets this reputation for being depressing. And what we were talking about was a little depressing. And Epicureanism gets this reputation for being like a sort of love of pleasure. And they're mm -hmm. both sort of horribly misinterpreted. I actually, the more I've studied Stoicism, and when I was writing the book, it was actually a little depressing to sort of be able to like every day sit down and think about like this sort of hardness of right. things. And then as I've thought about it more and, and talked to more people, I, I actually realized it's this sort of very inspiring form of optimism, right? Because it's to, it's to look things in the eye as and and see them as objectively and clearly as they are, like not just what you want to see, but what is actually there, which is often like downsides, you know, a low probability of success, yep. you know, risk, um, you know, uh, Un, you know, unfair and all the things and then deciding like, I'm going to do it anyway. Like, it, yep. like Marcus Aurelius is like saying like here, like you read his thing and you're like, it's depressing. It's depressing. But he showed up and did his yep. job every yep. day. And yep. like, that is what I love about it. And I think is, is so to me, it's this form of really like, like this glass is clearly half empty. Like it's, <laughs> it's more than that. So I could t I could tell myself that it's half full, right? But right. like that is that is delusional. Yep. Stoicism is to look at it and then say like, but that's not going to change what I feel I need to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and that's the that's the beauty of it. There's a line by um, my favorite guy, Zen master Ikkyu Sojun, who had this badass line, which says, 
uh, even if I end up in hell, I'm gonna find a way to enjoy it. Sure, which is perfect. You know that stoicism yeah. right there is totally kind of like acknowledging that external reality is what it is, but still trying to figure out how can I respond to horrible circumstances in a way that doesn't rob me of the one thing that you're struggling for, which is to find some happiness in life. Yeah, and is uh, it's beautiful. That's why to me, like when people pit the teachings of Epicurus and the Stoics as opposites, yeah. To me, not only they are not opposite, but I I have a hard time separating them. Like I don't really see the totally. difference there. To totally. Me. And like when you read Seneca's letters, he quotes Epicurus yeah. all the time. And and like the Stoics, like the other thing too is people will go like, "Well, the Stoics said this. What do you think of that?" It's like Stoicism is not a religion, right? <laughs> Philosophy is not a religion. Philosophy is a I think properly seen as a toolkit. Mm-hmm. Take the tools you like leave the ones you don't you should make sure that the tools you're leaving are not the ones that um you know require you to sacrifice or do like as long as you're not like well i love like and and i've gotten this criticism and i don't think it's fair but like people will go like um but what about the ethics that like you it's not like you just take the resilient parts of stoicism and then you leave all the parts about your obligations to other people that that makes you a sociopath (laughs) but like but it's it's you take the tools that you particularly like. You got to remember that this was written two to three thousand years ago, mm-hmm. before um, any psycho- psychological research had been done, before we had any understanding of biology. Um, you know, before we had our modern no- a lot of our modern notions that I think are certainly improvements about like how you treat like like. There's this one line in in meditations at the beginning where like Marx sort of listing like things that he got from other people and things that he's proud of. And like one of the things he's proud of is that he didn't uh, have sex with any of his slaves. And and you're like, like, okay, like I I get why that was an accomplishment to you. I'm going to hold myself to like a higher standard, right? Like I'm not going to rape any slaves. Not because I, not because I have good self-control, but because it's the wrong thing to do, you know? Yeah. And uh, like, Shit, I was about to pat myself for that. Yeah, took right. that away. Jesus. Right. Or, you know, he's taught, he's like, there's this one where he's like, have you ever like cut off the head of a Sumerian? And you're like, no, like, <laughs> like this is a bad, this is di- like, it, it, life was fundamentally the same as it was now. It was also fundamentally yeah, different. And so make sure that you're adding in, you know, the, the best that we've discovered in the 2000 yeah. years since. Um, but, but also, remember that it's 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 there for you to use as you need it and you're going to need different parts at different times yeah, in your life absolutely it doesn't mean that you have to be the seneca lover that you're like everything that seneca ever sure. did is like hey people fuck up sometimes people do great things who cares it's not about arguing whether the guy was great or not it's about how you can yeah. take some insights and use them for your own life to make it better yeah look seneca was nero's private tutor yeah. so like it's okay that you can disagree with some of his sure. choices. But again, it's like it's that, that's what I like about the way you frame it. There's more the Bruce Lee mentality of, you know, take what is useful, reject yeah. what is useless. Because ultimately, the only thing that counts is, does it work in doing what it's supposed to, which is helping you lead a better life? Yeah. Yes, great. If it doesn't, who cares? All the other arguments about authenticity, internal consistency, all of that, they are kind of pointless. Yeah, and look, I mean, originally, uh, there's there's a lot of overlap between Christianity and Stoicism, and it's mm-hmm. arguable that Christianity just took a lot of the ethics sure. and, and exercises from from Stoicism, and and they had to as a as a burgeoning religious movement. You always Robert Greene talks about this in the Forty Eight Laws of Power. You take the old and you yep. incorporate it into the new. But what happens with a religion is that it stops being about questioning. Mm-hmm. It it becomes dogma. 
and you're supposed to sort of take these notions on faith and and but like if if you read the Bible, there's tons of great practical sure. advice and, and not just practical but moral advice. Yep. Um, and then you know people lose sight of that because they want to say like, oh, gay people shouldn't be allowed to do this, and you're going to go to hell if you do that. And it's like, no, like why don't we all focus first on like being good people and like living the best yep. lives that we can? That's like if all of history was wiped out you would be writing down notes of things that you learned about your life and giving them to your daughter mm-hmm. and giving them to passing them on to the world that's yep. that's part of what humans do and that is what philosophy is mm-hmm. absolutely and it's yeah as you say it's about taking the good stuff you don't have to marry the entire thing as a dogma it's sure where do you think the cynics fit into this? In like this, if Epicurus and uh, Stoicism can actually go hand in hand, so you have one as the accent on pleasure, the other one on the resilience, but ultimately they are two faces of the same thing. Yeah, there's a uh, Marshall, the poet. He has a line where he's saying like the difference between a cynic, a, a cynic, and a stoic is that. Uh, is it there's only he says there's only a shirt between them and his joke is that uh, a stoic would wear a shirt whereas a cynic would be like what is all this wasteful fabric I'm putting on my body and like so it's like look Diogenes is like amazingly hilarious and insightful and he points and and everyone should read his stuff but like he also lived in a clay barrel and would masturbate like in public all the time so it's like Taking it a couple you know, of like, months beyond that. If that's if that sounds good to you, go for it. But like to me, like I'd rather I'd rather have a cup that yeah. could be broken yeah. and get to wear clothes and sleep in a bed. Um uh, like, you know, I think the Stokes the Stokes are a good compromise between all these things in the sense that right. they're like like look, like Seneca was an incredibly wealthy man mm-hmm. and but he was saying like enjoy the wealth that you have yep. But don't become so dependent on it that if it were to be taken from you, you would you would think that something that you had been wronged in some way, or that your life had been substantially damaged in some way. And I think that's a much better balance than yeah. you know <laughs> becoming scenic, a homeless person. The scenics take it a bit far. They are hilarious. Yeah. They are yeah. The Argentus is super funny. But yeah. yes, it's taking it a bit uh, to the extreme. Yeah, um, and and like. I I love I love the there's all the conversations between like Diogenes and Alexander the Great. Oh, they're awesome. And and that like contrast is amazing. Yeah. But at the same time, like uh I'm not sure either one was happier than the other. Like right. like Alexander the Great was clearly sort of compelled by like if you were looking at either of them now, you'd be like, it seems like they both have some mental issues yeah. that they need to deal with in yeah. therapy. Like yeah. not just philo- the philosophy is great and they're both very smart, but like Clearly, you're both dealing with your horrible mothers yeah. or something that makes you take things to such a preposterous extreme. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, you're right. He's not just Alexander who does it. The audience yeah. is also like, dude, you're fucking crazy. You're great. You're yeah. smart. But you're also insane to some degree. And it's like finding a balance is not a bad idea. There. Yeah. You know, it's like take all those good insights that you have that are brilliant yeah. and take it down three notches to a human level where you yeah. can actually live in society, hang out with your neighbors and... And not be batshit crazy, which helps. So. Yeah, to- totally, totally. You have to modern life or all life in in society requires making certain compromises yeah. and and taking certain things on faith. And if you don't, you're just going to be insane yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in fact, you're right. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. But yeah, Alexander and the Adonis are both going to the 
they go to the extreme and then they go three miles past it yeah. in order in different ways, but they both do it. So it's, right. It's like, you know who's happier? Probably some normal guy that didn't think about any of these things. Right. <laughs> right. Like, somebody <laughs> took it and does, I don't want to conquer the whole world to be yeah, happy. Yeah, it's a guy, he go, like the blacksmith to, or whatever. Yeah, I don't he... need to live in a barrel. I can, yeah. Some of the things that I notice as far as these themes where they, they seem to be universal things because I find that they show up in so many different cultures and so many. Like if I read, the, I don't know, like the Hagakure, you know, the classic of uh, samurai code. of yeah. When you read, the, like just about every line is stoicism. Yeah. You know? It's stoicism, again, even that taken to extreme because the code of the samurai got a bit insane to some. But some of the good parts about it, to me, the Agakure is Stoicism 101. It's like the same themes pop up. To- totally. There's um, So I, I thought about this very explicitly with the book because so the, the, the concept I – so I was I read Marx Realist and then I was reading Pierre uh, Haddad or Hadot. I don't know how to mm-hmm. pronounce things. Um, and he, ha- he talks about this idea of turning the obstacle upside down. Mm-hmm. That's That was his line and I was like, that is a great concept and I was – Every time I would see something anywhere in the world, I would write it down on a note card and I would keep it and I knew I wanted to write a book on it. And then I was like, look, turning obstacles upside down is like a terrible book title. Like that's not going to work. <laughs> right. And then there's a line from, from Mark Aurelius where he says, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. I was like, so the obstacle becomes the way. Like that's better. Um, and then I was reading some Zen book and no, it's, I think it's just a Zen sort of like cliche at this mm-hmm. point, but it, the, the obstacle is the path. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was like, that is, it was like, boom, put them together. The obstacle is the way. Simplified. Yeah. To its and, and you realize that like, like there was almost essentially no integration between Eastern and Western philosophy. Like they never, they, it's like in evolution when two species mm-hmm. independently evolve, you know, they are responding to some sort of deep, uh, like environmental truth, right? Some sort of need. And the idea that like two philosophies that more or less say the same things and in very different ways, but more or less say the same things to me says there is some sort of essential truth to it. And and I love to sort of pick and choose. Like I, I think I, 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 I tend to gravitate towards Western philosophy because I live in the West sure. and we live in a world that was dominated and defined by sort of the Western uh, mind. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, I, I've been reading a lot of, of, of sort of Zen Buddhist stuff and mindfulness stuff recently, and it's it's the same yep. things. Exactly. And, it, and often, like I've found that it's like, if, if you've studied Eastern philosophy a lot, you should read Stoicism because it will help you understand Eastern philosophy better. And, and now I'm, I think learning more about Stoicism and Epicureanism and, and cynicism from reading these other things because you're like, oh, wait, they said that. Yep. That's the same thing. That's what that idea is. Sometimes it's like what we were saying earlier about translations. It's just somebody essentially saying the same thing, but yeah. phrase it in a different yeah. way. And sub- even like the way you got to the title, you know, yeah. the Zen saying is so much more essential than some of the wordier ones. That yeah. They are saying the same stuff, but this one has just simplified it a little and suddenly clicks even more and it's like, perfect totally obstacle is the way that works yeah That's... there's this line in Marx really it's it's the first line of the second book where he says like you know say to yourself like the t- today the people i'm going to meet are like are mean and 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 rude and and mm-hmm. entitled and and selfish and blah 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 and he's like but like you know that they're like that because they don't know any better and you're going to know it going in and you're going to be okay and like whatever. And so I read that when I was 20 years old. And I've read it many times since. And I was like, that's, that's a great way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And then it was only in really reading sort of about meditation more recently 
that I was like, no, he's saying like say this all the time, like yep. say it like every day. Yep. And he's not saying like just think it and it's true and be like, oh yeah. It's like, no, if you don't want to get mad when your flight is canceled and the, the, you know, the person working behind the counter is like a real dick to you about it. Like you actually have to say that to yourself in the morning and then realize that he is fulfilling the role that you laid out for him to fulfill in the morning yep. and you have to be okay with it and you can't take it personally. And so it was like, they're both saying the same thing, which is that you have, these are these truths, but it's not enough to know them. You mm -hmm. have to like internalize them and live them and meditate yep. on them. And, and I don't think I would have been able to like un make that full understanding one until I was older, but two, until I was able to sort of see it from both the Eastern and Western perspective. And I think that's a key point, this idea that philosophy is not to be read. Yeah, you read it. That's great. That's how you get sure. the ideas. But right. ultimately, it's to be lived. If you just yes. read it, it doesn't really help anybody. You know, you, yeah. you carry it in your head. Well, yeah. you're smart. That's sweet. But yeah. And all, clearly, the lived part is the challenge. Yes. It's hard. You easier know, it's said like, than done. Yeah. Every, every single thing about this is easier said than done. Because totally. obviously, this is how it in a perfect world, you are going to be able to react. Yeah. And the goal is if I react like this none of the time, yeah. I want to bring it to where I can react like this 20% of the sure. time. And when I get there, maybe I can push to 30. It doesn't totally. mean you're going to be a machine and you can pull it off every time. Of totally. course, you know, it's wherever you're at, be able to push it a few inches further to make this a practice, a part of your day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do think that, that, you know, the concept of practice in Eastern philosophy is much clearer. Mm -hmm. be, and, and I think it's only less clear in Western philosophy because of the academics we were talking about earlier. Yep. They've perverted it. Yep. The idea that you're supposed to say this and, and do that was always part of the tradition, but we've lost that. And, and because we've studied Eastern philosophy less long and it's less sort of, uh, I don't know, intellectually uh, rewarded, I guess, in terms of, of reputation and yep. such, it... Um, it's more pure and you can get that from mm -hmm. it. And, and who knows, maybe in 50 years we'll be complaining about the same thing. That's of not, course. you know, it's not just enough to talk about meditation. You have right. to do it. But like right now, that's where we are. No, and I think it's, it's life, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like you want to know the theory because the theory is what will enable you to take certain action. But ultimately, then you have to take the actions. Otherwise, yeah. all the theory. It's like if you learn how to swim from a book, again, it can give you good ideas. But at some point, you got to jump in the pool and actually do that. Well, I remember I called you and we were talking about this. And you gave me that amazing uh, analogy. You're like, it's like sweeping a room. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once right. you've... Sw just because you've swept it doesn't mean that it's always clean. Yeah, you have to sweep yeah. it over and over and over again. Knowing the regularity of going to go back and yeah. do it again. And it's like, hey, but I got it three years ago. I, right. I, I knew it. It's like, right. it's no matter, you know, right. unless you do it now. Yeah, it's, and of course, I'm sure we all struggle with that because that's the totally. game. That's why, you know, people who uh, read your book shouldn't take it as, oh shit, this is such a high level to achieve. How can I possibly? Nobody's telling you to get it right every time. Yeah. The idea is try as good as you can to apply it to your life because it's its own reward. You know, when you're able to apply it, you'll feel better about life. Yeah. And when you can't, you can't. You try it. Try again. You know? Well, and, and I, I saw this very clearly with Robert Greene, who is a mentor of mine. People would be like, um, well, like, why isn't he like, you know, secretary of defense? Or sure. like, why? And it's like, 
don't you understand? It was in struggling with these things and maybe not being natural. It, it's like like in, in, in most martial arts, it's like the people who are least physically gifted um, have the best technique because yep. they have to learn it. <laughs> of course. And, and so I think it's like, I'm not saying I'm good at Stoic philosophy. I'm saying I'm bad at it. And because I've had to think about it yeah, more than you, exactly. I can talk about it more. Like yeah. it, and and like I I get this too. Like as you probably see this as a writer, like people will be like, "So, like, tell me what your book's about." It's like what the book is about is what I wrote. If I was good at, if I could, like, in an interview question, be like, "So, like, tell me about your book in one sentence." You're like, if I could do it in one sentence, right. don't done, you think I wouldn't yeah. have done this? Like, <laughs> I, I became a writer because I'm better at writing things down. Right. And, and it was that, it was that frustration with not being able to get what is inside of me across to my parents when we were fighting about yeah. something that made me go like, I'm going to go in my room and write things down. <laughs> you know, like that, that, that you, it's, it's often the weakness that makes you good at, Absolutely. at the thing. Like you mentioned martial arts is like the guy I want to learn from is not somebody who's 250 pounds of muscle and does the yeah. body of God from day one because he never had to deal with some of the obstacles no, they that just somebody lie on who you. doesn't yeah. have the body will. I want to get the old dude who looks like crap who somehow managed to make it work because he's not working with his physical prowess because he doesn't have much. He's working with the, the limitations and he had yeah. to find a way around it. And so his technique has to be 10 times better than the guy who's naturally strong. Or other, and so in terms of learning, you know, if I have to pick the guy I want with me in a fight, well, let's see. I yeah, don't know. Like, right. But if I want, who am I going to learn from? I want the guy who struggled every step of the way with hard things. Yeah, Tim Ferriss talks about that. He's like, you study the freaks. Yeah. Study the people who shouldn't be able to do what they yeah, do. exactly. Because they've clearly figured something <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's like... Like if you if you ask Michael Jordan like how should I do this he'd be like well you just do this yeah, exactly. you know like, but if you, you ask like Spud Webb he's right. like well let me tell you. like he knows the mechanics yep. of this thing because he's had to he's had to struggle with it um, and prove that he's good and prove the technique and that he gets it to you know it's like why do the best the best uh, football coaches mm -hmm. are the guys that played football but weren't very good right right like exactly. like billy bean wanted to be a great baseball player but he couldn't become one yep. and that's why he figured out the game he had to figure out what everyone else was yep. missing yep. and yep. i think i think that's true in a lot of parts of life it's awesome like if you're all with somebody you know you get these people who are physical specimen and you're like yeah you're good but i can't even tell how good you are because you're sure. gonna beat me just because you're yeah. you, you know? right Whereas then you see these guys that sometimes you really like, really you're going to get on the mat? Come yeah. on, you know, you're going to get slaughtered. Right. And then they are effortless and amazing in the way they apply force because it's pure technique. Granted, pure technique only goes so far, you know, there's something right. to be said about physical power. But again, in terms of learning, one is art to the 10th power. The right. other one is doing the best of your natural gifts and it's great. And sure. then you add the technique on top of it and then you're a god of fighting. But right. In terms of learning, I really want to learn from the guy who was to struggle. Yeah, yeah. And look, the black belts are never never the most physically intimidating person. Right, right. You get some guy. Those are, to me, the people. Because, in fact, in terms of, you know, you run into many people who are good martial artists. But yeah. some I can't learn from because I don't have their body. And they can't really communicate to somebody because their strength comes to largely from having that particular body and learn how to use it. Yeah. The people who are weak had to figure out a way that will work for anybody. Sure. That will work for somebody who doesn't have certain physical gifts. And yeah. those are the guys you, you learn from. Totally. 
No, it's trippy to have some of these ideas, like even reading, uh, we have been on a Conan the Barbarian trip for the last long, long time. And a lot of the Robert E. Hour story, stoicism pops up at every line. There's like a masterclass on stoicism while Conan is, you know, chopping people's head off and uh, rescuing hot women. There's also, that's what's funny is like when you read some of the guys who try to pick up the Conan yeah. stories, but they were not Robert E. Howard, you're stuck with some muscle or dude with a sword. When uh, you read Robert E. Howard, there's that. Sure. And there's a mountain of brilliant philosophy attached to it. Right. He's not preaching to you like, here is the philosophical lesson, but right. it shows up in the middle of the adventure in these fascinating ways. That's why, as ridiculous as that may sound, to me, Conan the Barbarian is a master stoic philosopher because that's where you find some of those ideas. Yeah, totally. I think I think you see it all through fiction. Like mm-hmm. it's it's because they're not real people; they're reacting how the author wishes they would yeah, react. Of course, and and you see that all the time. Yeah, totally. Well, let me ask you a couple of things that I had. Um... Like, for example, there's one practice that the Stoics engage in that I read also in the Agakura. Same idea is Liz morning visualization of the worst case scenario you wake up in the morning you picture how things are gonna be yeah the agakura is this thing of like picture yourself getting killed with arrows burned with fire with all the things that could happen to a samurai yeah and it's like make your peace with that possibility Mm -hmm. the stoics have similar things now there's clearly something powerful because then you are mentally ready for the worst case scenario at the same time, there's also the issue of the what uh, our friend Aubrey Marco speak up quite a bit about the nocebo. Yeah, the idea that sometimes picturing you picture negative outcomes, you can kind of attract them into your life. Sure. What do you think is the? St- they both they are yeah. concepts that they both make sense. Yeah. How do they integrate? I was and I was just talking. I was just had lunch with this college basketball coach. And we were talking about this. It's like on the one hand, you don't want to introduce sort of anything but like positivity into the the sort of the team and Mm -hmm. you want to be thinking big picture and you want to be thinking that like look we are just as capable we have just as good a chance as winning as everyone else so maybe a good way to draw that line is what what i was talking about with him is like look no team is has a perfect season Mm -hmm. so it's like you're what you're what you're realizing is like look we will lose a number of games this year Mm -hmm. that is a given what are we going to do about those games? And and like we would be do, we would not be setting ourselves up to be successful if we dishonestly told ourselves that we were going to win all the games, yep. and then we were hurt and disappointed each yep. time we lost. And then that is not a recipe for resilience. On the other hand, telling yourself that you're going to lose every game is probably not a recipe to win very many of them. Right. right? There's this great line though that I like. Um, so the Stoics call it uh, negative visualization. There. It, Primatatio malorum is this idea of sort of premeditation of evils. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Stoics are talking. It's like, look, you know, you want to get on, um, you want to pick, you know, pick the right date to go sailing, the best captain, the safest boat, the safest route, but the boat can still sink. Sure. And if you don't think that it can, um, that's, that's, you're the guy that drowns, right? right? So I think that's where that line is. There's this great line um, from Chomfort where he's saying, like, if you want, uh, a man must swallow a toad every morning if he wishes to experience nothing more disgusting before the day is out. And like, I, like obviously that you don't take that literally and it's not always true, but I love this idea of like, look, 
just get the shit out of the way early, and then right. the rest of the day is like I don't even care. You know, like I, I I'm right. totally fine. I I love that. I pers- personally that works for me. Right. If I if maybe if you were naturally a depressive person, you need to go the other way. Yeah, of course. Um, but like I think I think usually we need more help managing our expectations than we need help uh, setting our expectations higher. We're yeah. Especially now in modern life, we're pretty entitled people, yeah. and we pretty much expect most things to go our way. And so, I don't know. I I lean more towards the preparing for the worst, expect the best, prepare for the worst, sort of the way to look at it. No, and I think it, you make a great point about balance because you really there is no rule for everybody. It depends on who you are. If you are somebody yeah. who's like, oh, life sucks, then you need as much. Yeah, positive thinking as possible right. in that regard. Yeah, but by the same token, if you are only in this, uh, everything is gonna work out. Just think happy thoughts, and all doors will open. It's like deal with the fact that doors will be slammed in your face again yeah. and again. And it's like you need to be able to hold both at the same time. It's something else actually I was gonna ask you about because you know shows up in stoicism, shows up into a lot of good books. You know, you read like uh, Stephen Pressfield, The yeah. War of Art. You know, this theme of stop being a lazy bastard and push yourself harder yeah you yeah know, it's like that it's important but at yeah. the same time there's also the opposite which is people burn out totally. because they push themselves too hard and they never actually say you know what fuck it i'm gonna sit in the garden and look at the sunset and i don't care if something doesn't get done and i i like i struggle with that a lot personally and i think i'm 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 i gravitate towards stoicism in some ways to justify that natural inclination that i have and i think what i've taken out of eastern philosophy and what's been really good is it's like the idea of sitting there and doing nothing Mm -hmm. as a valuable exercise and the idea of of sort of removing everything and not like that you know it's it's this idea of like sort of human being not human doing and and i think taken too far the western mindset does lead to burnout and it Mm -hmm. does lead to like look the the Roman Empire did not end in success, right? And right. so, so it is not a, it's not it's a, a framework without its problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got to ask yourself, like, sort of, where does this end? Where is this going? What's the balance? And so, I, I totally, it, it's like, um, you know, you got to to be a writer, you got to put your ass in the chair every day and write. Sure. At the same time, a writer also has to be able to step away from their work. And experience life mm-hmm. and see their work from different perspectives for it to be good and relatable and not just um, some work of brute force yep. and catharsis. Like it's got to be more than that. So I think they're both very important. Yeah, because even if you are putting off amazing work, otherwise you become this rat in a cage where you feel yeah. that you need to keep running forever. And it's like, wait, wait, let's go yeah. back. Why are we doing this again? You know, ultimately it's about enjoying life. And yeah. this is just becoming its own perverted, uh, <laughs> I need to produce, I need to, you know, this ambition gone. Not When ambition is no longer a good force that motivates you, but it becomes its own obsession and yeah. obsession is never good. Yeah, know? like Stephen Pressfield lives in like Santa Monica or Malibu or something. Like he, yeah, yeah, he, he is, want to enjoy life. He enjoys, right? I'm, yeah. I'm positive he goes to the beach right. and like enjoys the, the beautiful surroundings yeah. that he has. But um, he does also not expect that his books will be magically birthed of out of him <laughs> yeah, because not... he wants them to, you know? Yeah, and in fact, I think is people who are not the greatest at self-discipline 
should be reading uh, Pressfield every morning and whipping themselves. Yeah, right. But if you are really hardcore and really hard on yourself, you right. should be reading all the stuff that tells you to mellow out and take a deep breath and meditate more. Yeah, and if, if only for strategic reasons. Like mm-hmm. if you you will hit a point of diminishing returns. Yeah. That is like a that is a power law that we cannot escape. Absolutely. And like if you think that all you need to do is throw more energy at something at a certain point, you are going to hurt yourself or hurt someone else. Yep, big time. One thing in that regard about the balance that I had a question on, I'm not sure if you are you know exactly how that played out because there are stories about Theodore Roosevelt who is pusillarious because Theodore Roosevelt has so many yeah. crazy wild stories. But there's something about when he was a kid, you know, yeah. as many of these guys who then build themselves as this... He was this sort of sickly kid who mm-hmm. had a lot of physical issues, who would get demolished by any kind of physical exertion. And at the same time, the way he gets out of it is through working out like a man. Yeah. But it's like what gives, because if you do get broken by physical exertion, it doesn't seem like that's what you can do to get out. Totally. How does that... Because obviously, you know, somebody who's naturally very and i don't mean just weak muscles i mean yeah. like your constitution your yeah. your body gets hit hard by physical exertion how do you use physical exertion as a healing tool as opposed to something that just kills you yeah yeah i think i think it's interesting because when you study someone like Theodore you know, roosevelt he's this massively inspiring figure but there's also addiction a horrible addiction ran through that family um you know he ends up at the end of his life he's he's like 60 but he he should have he should have lived till he was eighty, but he died at sixty because he essentially just overworked himself. Yep. Um, he ends up, his his all of Theodore Roosevelt's sort of most shameful moments came from his sort of lust for action and violence, right? And like he ends up, you know, the Spanish American War is not a particularly proud moment in American history. He he forces his kids into World War One. One of them dies, and he's like just utterly heartbroken, and he's like. Theodore Roosevelt is like despondent at the end of his life that he didn't get to go die in World War One, mm-hmm. and you're like, so clearly this is a positive trait that got you out of being a sickly, broken child, but it ended up making you a broken old man. Right. And so it's like, at what I think it, I think it's a continual revisitation of mm-hmm. like, ha, like, like, look, you you get in a car, you you go different speeds at different times of based course. on where you are and where you're going and like I, I think it's that revisitation of like what is what is safe, what is appropriate, yeah. what is required here. And and like I think, you know, something I've been thinking about for for my next book, it's this idea of like oftentimes the traits that made you successful um are it, it's like to overcome certain odds you, you feel you you get the, when you overcome odds you get this idea of like I can make reality exactly how mm-hmm. I want. Through sheer force and energy, I can change the world. Yeah. But there's limits to that. And if you don't understand them, I think that's where you hurt yourself. How do you think, like, physically, how could you pull it off? Like, how would working out as the super sickly child would go to bed for three days if he sweated? How well, could he do it? Where I mean, the previous treatment for asthma was, like, his father would force him to smoke cigars. <laughs> so it's like, I'm sure exercise. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, there, was no, there wasn't inhalers. There was no medicine. Yeah. It was like they would give him whiskey and force him to smoke cigars. So I imagine just, like... Building up his his capacity to breathe and 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 exercise and just feel strong and confident. I'm mm-hmm. sure it was. I'm sure it's not so much that like exercise is his magical cure, but it's like better than whatever else sure. they were doing. And right. there's probably a bit of a placebo effect in there, and right. and all these things. And 
And it's like, look, like Demosthenes supposedly cured his like speech impediment by like yelling into the wind and putting rocks in his mouth. Yeah. Like you wouldn't prescribe that to a person then sure. or to a person now. But like, like the the prescription then was to like put the baby on a hill and hope they die. You know, like yeah. so it's like I think I think we've got to. It's it's not so much we're learning from the specific tactics here, gotcha. and more it's the idea of like. Um, you know, deciding like you're not going to be helpless and you're going to work on this. Um, and it's, it's cool. You can go see the gym. Like mm-hmm. it's how, and, and it's like, it's not, he was like lifting dumbbells and yeah. doing pull-ups and jumping them. rope. Like yeah, he's just, course. he's just, I think he's just building up his lung capacity yeah. and, and he probably still suffered from asthma. Right. Um, it's just, he was, he was not also, he, it's like like what what we used to do with women. It's like they would have like some sort of illness, and they would be like, "Lay in bed for the rest of your life." Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's like, not that's a recipe gonna for cure you. Great. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to no, make a course. lot of other things worse. Yeah. No. Precisely. No. That's a very good point. Now, something in general about writing books. I mean, you publish at the top of the game. You publish with a super big publisher. You have sold a ton of copies. You have done a great job in that regard. How does that, for people who are interested in writing, how does that game play out? Because obviously, you know, with small publishers, you have the advantage that usually you get to do whatever the hell you want. Yep. You have very limited editing, or rather you have what you want for editing. But yeah. other than that, you can kind of push your vision and that's it. The downside is you get next to nothing. Otherwise, yeah. distribution is going to suck. You're not going to sell. That's, you know, you're going to sell limited. That's yeah. for sure. One of the issues that I've always had with the big publishing world is that everyone, starting from the agent to the guy who accepts the book, to the site to publish it, to the editors, just about everybody wants to reshape your book yeah. in what they think is going to sell. And obviously, the worst case scenario, which often tend to play out, is that you get... Um, you get this feeling of why the why the hell don't you write this book then? Because yeah. you seem to have ideas sure. of where you want to take it. It's really not where I want to go with it. So, how do you avoid those pitfalls? Yeah. So, well, let me tell you. So, my first book was like a marketing book, and it got a lot of attention. It sold okay, but my publisher was not excited when I said for my next book I'd like to tackle ancient philosophy. Yeah, yeah. I so, um, I took a lot less money. I realized they didn't totally believe in the book. And I went and I was like, look, I'm going to write this and then I'm going to find some way to get it out. But like I knew I knew the market was like bigger than they thought it was. Yeah. Um, and I think like and, and I'm struggling with this with my next book where it's like, yeah, you what a publisher is thinking about is it's like they're like parents in the sense that like they care about like what's safe and what's right not what has the greatest chance of success mm-hmm. like they 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 are conservative and you yep. have to realize that and so they're going to encourage you to do things that might be better in the short term but much worse in the long term mm-hmm. and that's where you've got to you've got to be in touch with yourself like is it am i resisting this because i'm artistically committed to it and it's important or am i resisting it because um i don't want anyone to tell me what to do mm-hmm. or am i resisting sure. it because um I, you know, I, am I resisting it for whatever reason or am I resisting it because I'm afraid that it might make my work more accessible? And it's it half the time you're going to be right. Half the time you're going to be wrong. Right. I, it it's 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 a difficult thing to do. And I don't I don't think there's any like hard and fast rules. But but ultimately, I think what you want to be thinking about is like, how can I set this up to be successful for the long term? How can I make sure that there's an immense amount of practical value in the work? 
and how can I make sure that this is as relevant, as exciting to as many potential people as possible? And I think if you do those things, it doesn't matter if you're working with a big press, sure. a small press, or self-publishing. If the work solves a problem for people and you hustle to market it, mm-hmm. it will find its audience right. and it will sell. Right. Um, you know, like ultimately it's like you sell the small publisher but you make more money per copy or you sell more copies with a big publisher and you make less money. Yeah. Like really – a lot of times these things end up in this not that different. Sure. But I think a lot of people are, are very distracted by sort of like, well, I want to do what so-and-so did. Yeah, yeah, or I want to get this thing. And they're not actually asking if it, if right. it matters. They're just trying to get feel the, important. Yeah, it's yeah. an ego thing, of course. But for the most part, you seem very happy with the way your vision has come through, right? Yeah, yeah. And there are certain things that are I'm non-negotiable about. Right. And you got to be clear on what those yeah. are. And then the other ones you got like... You know, you've got to know what you like. You've got to know what cannot be changed, so then you can look at the other changes yeah. with with open mindedness and and, right. and objectivity. That's more than fair. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, because I know you have a busy day and everything. Do tell. We have to yeah. ask. Living with goats. Okay. Tell us about your goats. Goats are amazing. <laughs> I like to say they're like really dumb dogs. Right. Uh, I have three of them. I have Bucket, Biscuit, and Watermelon. They're both uh, – two are pygmies and one is a Nigerian dwarf. And they uh, – basically they just lay around all day, uh, headbutt each other. Sometimes I'll catch up. I'll walk out and they'll just be like headbutting a tree for no reason. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah, they're they're just like ridiculously cute and uh, – for me, it was a le- like it was it was like this just ridiculous thing we just did one day. Like we got one, and then my wife was like, "It's so cruel to only have one." And then we had to get two, and then you have two, and you're like, "Okay, I'll have three. Um, but you, it was like it's been a hilarious to see the amount of people who were like, "Oh, I've always wanted goats. Like I'm so jealous. This is so amazing. Like it. Like I had to like." Uh, apply for like yeah, a road yeah, yeah. scholarship right. to get these it's it's like i get went to a, I, yeah i looked yeah. up a farmer on craigslist and i bought it for 200 dollars. like yeah. this is not right. like this is there's no there's no permitting process here nah. like you just have them and so for me it was like i'd always want to do this thing we took a flyer on it and it ended up being awesome and is a lot of fun and and like like life is short, like do yeah, ridiculous yeah, yeah. things, Play you know? With it. Do you ever yeah. see like the god pan in the backyard playing the flute and making them dance? No, but or? like you totally realize like why goats have this like weird place like in mythology because like they're really like disconcerting. Like they're just like <laughs> spaz out and like they have rectangular eyes, you know, like right. they're and they, they, they yell at you. Like if they, you know, like if you're not giving, like a dog, it's like barking. And so you're like, stop barking. Yeah. But like it goes like, ah! Ah, and it was like, what? Like, this is like, it's just, it's a very uncomfortable animal. You know what I mean? Like if it, 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 it's like a snake, but not scary. Right. And so you totally get why people sacrifice them and why they thought they would be like possessed. Yeah. And like, you're like, there must, there was, there's some element of truth to this. Right. Kind of strange. Uh, I was a couple of years ago, I was hiking in the mountains in Italy and we stumbled upon this farm where there are all these goats roaming around in the middle of the road. And 
And you know, the way it is up there in the mountains, you walk in, uh, yeah. the guy is there in his backyard and you say, hey, you got some cheese to sell and they yeah. have just made it and they hand it to you. It's pretty damn weird. I usually yeah. like goat cheese. I yeah. really dig goat cheese. And I remember eating this thing and I felt like this is pretty much like licking a goat. That's yeah. how it would taste like. Well, so people are like, oh, so do you like milk them and you get cheese? I was like, no. Uh, you have to breathe them for that yeah. to happen. But it was like, it's me and my wife. Like, how much goat milk yeah, do you exactly. think that we need? Right. Like, 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 so we have chickens and the, the, having the eggs is nice. But when you do the math, you're like, what's my egg budget every month? Yeah. Like, I'm spending like 10 bucks on eggs. So, like, the, the yeah. math doesn't work. But it's like, I probably buy zero ounces of goat cheese in, right. a, in a year. Like, maybe it accidentally comes on something sure. I order. And so it's like, I don't, yeah. I would just be the guy trying to like pawn goat milk off people. Like, <laughs> Take some goat milk, you know? Like, so if you guys need uh, goat milk from uh, yeah. Ryan's budget operation, by yeah. all means, uh, just let us know. Yeah. We'll ship your goat cheese. Well, that's hilarious. That's, uh, I remember seeing some of the videos you posted of your goats. Yeah. It's like, they They're are, absurd. they are hypnotic. They are, you yeah. watch them over and over because they are too funny. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, awesome. Million, thank no, this you. is really fun. Anything else you want to throw out there for no. people to... Okay, so check out. We'll put the links to uh, Ryan's books, uh, to, um, I guess, your website. Yeah, And sure. uh, all the good stuff where then... You guys know how the game works. The gods of Google will show you then Twitter yes. and everything else. You guys else can figure and, it out, I'm sure. Beautiful. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you. This is amazing. There you have it. Obviously, I have to toughen up. <laughs> the world's not going to change to to my approvals. What? Okay, hey, I'm all for it. If it did, I'm all for it. If it doesn't can... seem to be doing a damn thing. Yeah, so. so in that case, toughen up, bucko. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so cool with um, our funky audio at my house. In this case, we're doing the intro and outro at the new studio, but the audio we recorded at uh, at my house. We like to keep it eclectic. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, little bits from everywhere. So. And now some smooth jazz. Yes. And what do we need to, um, let's see, things that we should bring up. Oh, uh, EQ t-shirt are, what is it, number four of our t-shirts? Yeah. Yeah, we had our fourth Drunken Taoist t-shirt. It's getting ridiculous. The most, if you thought the previous ones were slightly risky, this is way more. So there's nothing slightly about it, which... Are my idol EQ Sojun drinking wine that's falling off a boob of a naked lady? That's what you want to use to go pick up your kids at school. I think you should go for it. I saw a great meme the other day that you can use sweet titties to sell hamburgers and cars and everything else in the world, but the second you pop one out to use it for what it's supposed to be, the world freaks out. Yeah, breastfeeding in public, it's... Uh, we are all kind of confused. It's strange. So but... I think this might be that first thing to, to build a bridge. Uh, hey, I did like you it. see them? Um, and this is talking back from late December. Um, the federal government will no longer chase any prosecution of marijuana dispensaries in states that have approved it. Really? Well, it's also 2016, and they are about to change uh, 
uh, to change the whole federal government within a year. So, I mean, yeah, that's nice for the next few months. Who knows what that's going to mean afterwards? So I, let's they, see. They don't want to. They don't want to poke that that snake. I don't know, man. There's a lot of craziness. Probably not, but it's a question mark. It is going to be incredible to see how all this goes down. Yeah, it's it's mild entertainment. I mean, it's kind of gross, and at the same time, the whole political American political scene oh. is both. Gross and entertaining at the same time. It's, it's pure insanity right yeah, now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say, to be totally honest, I cannot think of a single country where the whole political situation is non gross. So no, it's always backstabbing, infighting, yeah. bullshit, lies, the whole yeah, bit, fake promises, the, tons yeah, of, of corruption. And the voting machines never work. Yeah, no, but this stuff is definitely, I mean, the American thing, it takes it to a whole new level. Well, that's so maybe it's... we can recommend some dueling, you know? Maybe. Yeah, I, that would be fun. Uh, direct <sighs> elimination. Just who can draw faster and drop the other guy. Oh, it's getting crazy. Yeah, we're just at the, at the tip of that, though. Yeah. Well, we'll have to bust a tinfoil hat report out before too long just to try to get all that. Let's do that. Doesn't Cup- belong here. A couple of things that we should mention. One is I believe there are the very last few days of uh, the Indiegogo for um, the um, idea that Albert, working with me as well, had regard Albert Ohanian was our uh, past guest about a flotation place that makes flotation tanks, martial arts school, yoga classes, kind of community hangout, venue for public podcast. And it's like taking a bunch of things that we are into and putting them together in one place. So he's doing a fundraiser. Um, if you guys decide that that's your thing, that would be sweet if you can contribute. I'll put the links in the episode notes. Also, those of you guys who haven't heard yet, my new book is out, Not Afraid. I'll have the audiobook version probably around these days, like as this episode is dropping, somewhere around these days is coming out, the audiobook version. I'll How do you, you cut that? Know. Is it a couple of chapters a day or just... No, I powered... I mean, the thing is, has been painful because I've been trying to do it at my house because I don't have the time to go and spend six hours at the studio on sure. a regular basis. And, you know, you don't realize how damn loud everything is until and you start and there's a truck going by and there's an airplane and there's road work. And there's so it's like it's been a bit of a struggle, but whatever, it's almost done. But at least the chapters are tight, you know, four or exactly. five pages. So yeah. if you get through one, it's like, yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally went outside to chase birds away, to do all sorts of things, to make it more silent. But Well, I can't recommend it enough. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I haven't read the, uh, the Izzy chapters yet, but um, the first two are outstanding. The first two sections. Cool, amazing. man. And, Thanks. Uh, good work. Nice. You so... inspire me, and I think you inspire other people. I mean, you've kicked out two books, a million podcasts. You've got your award-winning podcast going now. Hey, let's keep playing, right? I just hope, I just hope there was some little seed of fire that helped you get there. That's the hope. That's definitely the hope. Uh, anything else? That went? Oh, we need to thank the sweet folks for who have donated. So, oh, excellent. Let's say thank you to those amazing humans. Let the pottering begin. We got this month Paul Prindiville. Maybe that's a guess on the that's last name. Uh, Samuel Rapin, uh, Matthew Platt, Terry McLennan, Alexander Kuzner. Maurizio Mezzatesta, Jonathan Waterloo, David Peterson, Aaron McLaughlin, Rebecca Levinskog, a true Viking name straight out of Sweden, <laughs> Lisa Robles, Amos Kingfisher, and Robert Winter. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, folks. 
That's it. Daisy House. Daisy House. Thank you guys so much for the music as usual. And of course, thank you to our affiliates, Audible and Coracao Chocolate. I just got some Coracao Chocolate that was yummy. I was like, oh, I'm going to bring some to reach. But there were not that many pieces. And I downed them all in about six seconds. It's a danger. And it's, yeah, it was. Sorry. So there's that. Uh, Anything else we need to mention? No, I'm tired of moving. Yeah, I know. Well, check out those guns. Rich is developing I, crazy muscle. I by... feel good, man. And I had to move my mother's store over last weekend, so I did like like move in out and then another move, and I uh, I actually feel great. So I'm gonna have to either the kettlebells or something to keep it going because powerful man. Yeah, let's call on it and get you the kettlebells. Yes. Cool, guys. Thank you so much. So ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great, it's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and... Uh, uh, your accent, it just... Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about... Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work!